G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. And a little reminder again, the clarity of the recording sometimes isn't quite as good as when we do it in the studio. So our apologies there. Uh, but as I say every week, COVID-19 or not, we are still going to put Grad Chat on the air every week for you because our students have not stopped doing their research. They're still, they're still doing it and still coming out with some amazing results and theories and just in general, great research, which, uh, which is what we want you to hear about. So that's what we're going to do. Now today, I would like to introduce you to Debbie Francis, who is doing a Doctor of Science in Rehabilitation and Health Leadership under the supervision of Dr. Janet Jull. Welcome to Grad Chat, Debbie. Hi, Colette. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. And what, what is nice, Debbie reached out to me to say, can I come on the show? And I go, of course, no worries there at all. So I always like that. And what's been interesting, the Rehabilitation and Health Leadership Program is one of our newer programs. I mean, two or three years now, I think this program has been going. And it's interesting, the last couple of couple of terms, we've had a few of you come on the show, which is fantastic. So thank you, Debbie, also for putting your hand up to come on. No problem. It's a great program. And, and why did you want to come on the show? Maybe I should ask you that. I wanted to come on the show to share my proposed research and what I plan to do because it's geared towards students at Queen's. So just to get the message out there and potentially some recruitment interest as well and sharing research that I think is extremely valuable um, in the current climate that we're in right now. Fantastic. So I see there's a second, an ulterior motive for coming on the show. <laughs> I love that. The old recruitment. Got it. <laughs> okay, so you flipped that one in quickly. <laughs> so I guess, what year are you in in your doctorate? Because you said your proposed um, outline. Yeah. What, what year are you in your doctorate? And, and I guess also, because you're in health leadership, rehabilitation mm-hmm. health leadership, what is your background? Sure. I'm in my second year in the Doctor of Science in Rehabilitation and Health Leadership program. And by my background, I'm an occupational therapist. By background, I've been practicing for quite some time. And I teach in an occupational therapy program at Duville College in Buffalo, New York. Oh, okay. Yes. Are you down there? Are you in the U.S. right now? I am in the U.S. right now. I do um, drive across the border. I, I live in Canada. It's a really unique and wonderful opportunity that I have to live in one country and work in another one. So great. Right. And I guess you found that a little harder with COVID. Are you, I guess, working from home right now? No, I'm I'm coming to school based on my eligibility for my work visa that I have. I'm right. considered an essential employee. So I do have the opportunity to come to work uh, not every day, but when my schedule does require me to have face-to-face teaching. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, you're one of the lucky ones. It's not so easy for everyone. <laughs> no, it's not. I know. I, I am quite grateful, actually. 
and, and I guess going across the border has been okay for you then? It's pretty seamless for me. I've got the documentation that entitles me to do that. So it's it has not been a challenge at all. For oh, the students, it's been different, but for myself, not so much. Well, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. And I'm sure they're very grateful that you can still be there for, for the programming. So uh, best of luck with all of that. And, and we're lucky to have you in our program. And I always find it interesting, particularly in the health sciences, because a lot of you in, in, in these programs are still practicing your chosen profession, but you're coming back to put some of your ideas that you've had as you're going through your your professional lives and you've probably got these ideas and think well how does that relate and you know let's go and research that and then you can sort of bring back into your profession is that one of the reasons why you wanted to come and do a, a doctor of science that's the primary reason Colette exactly the program that um, I'm in is an applied program so what I love about it especially with the coursework, is when you learn something, that ability to apply it almost right away um, Mm -hmm. gave me that opportunity as a teacher to be able to apply information that I've learned regarding, uh, let's say, evaluation of programs or um, leadership theory. So those types of things have given me that opportunity to most definitely The other thing, the other reason why I applied is its nature of me still being able to work. There are very few programs that give you the opportunity to be at the doctoral level Mm -hmm. and still maintain your employment. And I love my job. So uh, this still gave me that time to be able to go to school as well as work. That's fantastic. Yes, I I imagine a lot of people would like that. And and like you said, particularly in the health industry, it seems more relevant to to that. And I imagine even STEM from Most definitely. Yeah, it is a a great program. And, you know, it says rehabilitation and health leadership, but our class is quite diverse. We have um, individuals who are in policy. We do have the therapist. We have a CEO of a regulated organization and somebody who's in the aviation industry. So I think people might think, oh, this is what it is. But I have learned so much from my cohort. It's been amazing to take into perspective other people's viewpoints on things and to learn and still be able to further your own learning and knowledge. And I think that's the beauty of being at a university because you can, and particularly like you said, in a, in a, an applied sort of program, get those diverse perspectives in your work. So I noticed your supervisor, though, is Dr. Janet Joel, who looks at how research is conducted with partnerships and, and in particular with First Nations, Inuit and Métis communities. Was reading about Dr. Joel's work what got you interested in your own research area and, and you wanting Dr. Joel to be your supervisor? Actually, no. Uh, Dr. <laughs> well, that one backfired on me. <laughs> um, Dr. Joel, and it's so funny, I'm a really firm believer that everything happens for a reason. Dr. Joel was assigned to me by the program. So taking uh-huh. a look at my research interests, as well as how she researches. And I couldn't be a better pairing, to be honest with you. Right. So not me recognizing right from the very beginning that shared partnerships was something that I wanted to incorporate in my research or knowing it, but not necessarily being able to articulate it. Having Dr. Joel as my supervisor has really given me that opportunity to recognize shared decision-making models and the importance of engagement of communities in research, especially when that research is geared to improving something for the community, um, sharing their viewpoint. So that whole perspective of nothing about us without us, 
I think really does resonate with that. And because Dr. Jell does work with a racialized population as well, um, that's another kind of reason why I think we were probably paired together. So it's been great to learn from her. Tremendous amount of knowledge and just such a wonderful way of being able to um, share and encourage me to do things that I didn't even think I was capable of doing. It sounds like it's a perfect match, which is great because having a supervisor who's not necessarily specifically working in, in your area, but even partly can can give you some some great information and support. And I think the other thing too is that I've had supervisors in the past and not to say that they feel that they know everything. That was probably my perspective. Dr. Jell is always willing to learn. So the theory that I'm using is critical race theory, which she has some knowledge of, but not expansive knowledge. So always asking me questions about it, what's in the literature, what can she find? So I think going along that journey with me and learning, I'm learning and she's learning. So I think that that's quite commendable um, for a supervisor to have that because I'm not the only student that she is supervising. So her level of investment in my knowledge and my learning is just remarkable. That's fantastic. Well, I'm very happy for you. You've got that. And so what I guess what we should do is go on to what is your research topic? And you've written in your, your piece for me, Changing the Landscape, a critical race-informed narrative inquiry of a Canadian university told by racialized students. So can you give me a bit of an overview of your research? And I guess also what piqued your interest in this topic? Sure. So an overview of my research is that I'm planning to build on research that exists in Canada, but not a lot of it, that Mm -hmm. looks at the perspective of racialized students' knowledge and perspectives um, to facilitate more of an action-based approach as opposed to awareness. So universities do have diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, policies, and practices. However, those programs, policies, and practices are usually organized or derived from the staff that work within, let's say, the Human Rights and Equity Office at Queen's, which is wonderful and has a lot of education for people. However, the involvement of the students for whom the modules and education are to benefit, their viewpoints aren't considered or included to the degree where I think it should be. So that's kind of where I am planning to look at that diversity of perspective and thought And including that student voice, which I feel is just so beneficial, especially in academia and at a university. So what made you come to this particular topic? Because we all know, I mean, if you just take 2020 with COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, some of of these issues have really been brought to the fore. You know, universities may have been doing some of this Mm -hmm. EDII work before, but not to the same extent as what's happening since this past year. Correct. Um, was your interest before, say, 2020, or was it always, it was, is it a result of 2020? No, it was before 2020. And I just can't believe, and it's still continuing, mm-hmm. how closely aligned everything is. So I, for me, it sparked from a conversation with a couple of students that I have. I've been in my current position now since 2016, teaching students in occupational therapy in the United States. And I had a student come up to me after one of our classes, it was probably halfway through the semester. And she said to me, I've never been taught by someone who looks like me. 
Right. And so I have a, a fair drive home. It takes me 45 minutes to get home. And I'm thinking about that. And I was like, wow, neither have I. <laughs> so <laughs> that's something that we have in common. So I think back to primary school and going through university. And um, I have never really had anybody talk, look like me either. So I think for me, that's what kind of had me thinking right. that student perspective. So these are roles that are looked at in leadership you know, to a a role in academia and teaching um, and recognizing that the student experience or perspective in higher education is limited in the literature. So you've got academics who are working with students and diversity is everywhere, but yet there's not a lot of information that shares what it is that they think, what they feel and what they aspire for the future. So I just thought that that student really resonated with me in terms of what is my role to get that information out there from that student perspective and to get as many people to learn about that student perspective as as possible. It's not an easy thing to do. It is not. I'm discovering (laughs) that Colette is. (laughs) Um, It's not easy. And as Dr. Jola said to me, it's, it hasn't been done. And that's probably why it hasn't been done because it's not easy. It's, there's a lot of nuances, things that you need to take into consideration. And the one thing that I'm learning as time goes on is obviously each person is an individual and their perspective is varying. And myself as a racialized student, my experiences are not the same as somebody else's by any stretch of the imagination. So what I would like to learn is to find out as much about people as possible so that we can kind of move forward with ensuring that students' needs are met. It's interesting too, though, and I'm just going to digress a little bit because one of the things when it comes to EDII programming per se, I mean, as you said, a lot of the modules and things that we've got right now are very much on an, excuse me, an awareness piece. And it's changing that an awareness piece to an actionable piece, which is the harder part. And getting, like you said, different voices to talk about how everyone fits in with each other, so to speak. And I'm now being very brought here in, in my terminology you know is that changing the state of awareness to action as you said is, is is the hard part and a lot of the times even within queens right now when we're trying to do programming we want to say well okay was the thing that we get get caught out with is we always go to the, the say the bipoc student and say well how does it make you feel or what are you feeling and did it so we're always trying to get their perspective and that's hard on them sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, very hard. Yeah. And so, but how do you do, how do you get people's perspectives across the board to be able to come up with a program that um, everyone can relate to in different ways and, mm-hmm. and still show what you're trying to do is to, to show um, progress, as you said, progress and diversity, equity, inclusion throughout the university and throughout programming. I think for me, I do consider most definitely the burden on the student and especially Mm -hmm. the burden on the racialized students. So for individuals who are not racialized coming to, and I experienced that as well, people like, what's your perspective? What do you think about this? And I've even had people who work in other areas ask me, and I'm like, there's no contextual relevance there for me. So I can't really share my perspective. What I'm hoping with the students who engage in the research with me is that they are going to see an end product that is beneficial for them. So they're going to know. So when you engage in research, you might participate in a survey, you might be interviewed by someone. 
a lot of times this, the participant is not aware of what the outcome is. So how did that lead to it? If, if you do a great job, most definitely they do. If you do member checking so that they can determine that what they shared with you is accurately relayed in that conversation or however, the end product's not there. So I'm planning to use what's called community-based participatory research. And that viewpoint really does engage and involve the students right from the very beginning or the participants. So what it is, is that they will work with me developing the research questions all the way right. to potentially the evaluation of the module or learning resource that we create. So that process is not me as a principal investigator leading the way. It is joint leadership and as well as joint involvement with the participants so that they can see that they are making decisions with me and not me making them for them. So with this research that you're doing, so I just need to get my wrap my head around this. So you, you're kind of doing, am I right in saying that you're kind of doing two, two things? One is the research part of looking at this community-based assistance yeah. and partnerships Correct. and getting BIPOC racialized, racialized students involved in in your research, but also at the end, so you'll have your research to show how this sort of collaboration can work, but but you also have a program that you can put out into the university as well. Am I understanding that correctly? That's 100% correct. So because it's an applied dissertation, there needs to be a product. So what is it that I'm creating? And that is a learning module. So right. the development of that learning module is going to require me to work with the participants who are the racialized students. But before right. I can put together what it is that they feel people need to know, I need to figure that out with them. Right. Fantastic. Okay. So you should be part of our committee. <laughs> because, uh, we could just hand it over to you and say, can you, can you provide us with a program? Because it's very, like I said, it's all very useful right now because we're all going through this of, like you said, we've got some great modules on awareness. But in the School of Graduate Studies, of course, we want to go that next step of creating a, a program that's not just an awareness piece, but to actually get students talking to each other and, and figuring things out together, et cetera, and sharing experiences and all that sort of thing. But what that looks like is really hard to determine. So we were going to get some students together and saying, well, what do you reckon? kind of thing but I guess that's what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it <laughs> I'm opening it up to my inclusion criteria is really anybody who identifies as a racialized full-time student at Queen's undergraduate right. or graduate because I just think those perspectives are going to be different yes. and the graduate students if they did not attend Queen's most definitely might have some elements of comparison between where they did their undergraduate degree versus where they're doing their graduate studies right now at Queen's that would be really good because one of the things I always we always find difficult at times is that some great programming, but it's it's very much geared toward at times undergrad and and as I said, even in the graduate population, there's so many different varieties of grad students, if, if for want of a better word, I guess, in terms of we have professional graduate students, we have research-based students, we have, like yourself, which is a bit of both, um, uh, you know, we have people who are part-time, we have grad students who are looking after dependents. And so we have all these different things that happen within the graduate population. 
and it makes programming a little bit harder because of those variances. So to be able to find a program that either we, we do something different for each one or whether we have to do something as a collective that covers all areas um, will be an interesting thing to look at. Mm-hmm. And I think to, to recognize that, as I mentioned earlier, each perspective is different, mm-hmm. but to gather that information through either undergraduate or graduate and then variety of programs across um, the university. So not just limiting it to, let's say, one school. So academically, I'm, I'm hoping that I will get individuals who would like to be involved that are across representation of the university. And, and this is a program that you want to be able to help develop that our faculty and staff can use because faculty using it within a curriculum is one thing again because they could have different dimensions of what what materials are within the program but then there's the what the staff can use is another thing together because the staff has have a different interaction with with students that's correct So, so are you looking at both those target audiences I am. So ensuring that as many people as possible have access to it, but keeping in mind when developing the module that the outcome is for faculty and staff. So that training module um, eventually is going to benefit the students. So the faculty and staff, as you've just outlined, have different roles when they're engaging with the students. So um, somebody who works in human resources versus or somebody who works in custodial services or in the residences just so that they are, they are. everyone starts at a different level of awareness. But as I I mentioned, this is hoping that they have that background, which Queens has done a really nice job with in terms of the modules that are available and are either mandatory or encouraged for faculty and staff to complete. This one is going to take it to that next level is the intent. And so it's not just, uh, it wouldn't just be, here's a module, do it in your own time. This would actually be an interactive program. where So it's people are meeting other people while they're doing it. I haven't got that far, Colette, but it's, Uh I would like, (laughs) great suggestion. Um, I would, I would like it to be interactive again. It's not up to me. So if I'm abiding by the principles of community-based participatory research, it's a collective decision. So whatever the participants feel are going to be the best way for it to be disseminated or shared right. will be the consensus on that will be how we decide to deliver it. Right, right. But you're using, you're going to ask for student um, people to help you, participants to help you formulate what they they, they think would, would, would that's, work. That's correct, yes. Very and much the kind so. of topics that should be included. Mm-hmm. And just information people should know. I've, um, in doing this research background for my comprehensive exam and then my dissertation proposal defense, um, there's some nice work out there. And one of the things that stands out to me is I watched a YouTube video that speaks to what racialized students wished their professors knew about them before they came into their classroom environment. 
And it's some of the things that you mentioned. So on top of being a racialized student, other things that intersect with that. So they may have different gender identity. They might be the first generation individual to be in university. And so they have other requirements. They may be a parent. They might be a caretaker. So not to say that those are reasons as to why someone doesn't do as well as they do. However, it does give you that perspective that's much broader than the student that you see sitting in your classroom. So just recognizing those things in terms of how that might impact someone's ability to even come to class or to submit that assignment on time. Can I ask one more question about the faculty group? Sure. My my head's going on in all all sorts of places. This is a great conversation. (laughs) With, with the faculty, there's two areas there I think would be important for faculty. There's one of a program that faculty can use to put within their own curriculum. And then there's the, a program that faculty can learn from faculty. Mm-hmm. Because right. I think sometimes with faculty, their best learning is talking to their own peers as well and going through some of this information together because let's let's face it it's not an easy topic it's not otherwise we would have had it sorted years and years ago it's not an easy topic and some people find it very difficult to talk about so sometimes having that a program that faculty can speak to faculty to work some things out to help each other and then a program that they can deliver as part of their curriculum and that's very true so Part of my research, the collaborative framework that I'm working within um, is like an academic knowledge partnership. So it's adopted, it's an actual framework that Dr. Jell has come up with. So it's really an inclusive way um, to research populations who have historically not had the opportunity to participate in the research process. So the whole, one of the establishing guiding features requires an advisory group. So the advisory group, really, you form that. um, These are people who are representative of the population, so it could be students. So within the Faculty of Health Sciences, Dr. Um, Jane Philpott has the Dean's Action Table on um, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Yes, Yes. so I'm on one of those subcommittees. I'm on a research subcommittee. So I'm anticipating, hopefully with involvement as an advisory group, the thing I love about that subcommittee is it's representative of faculty, staff, and students. So I have that overall overarching kind of perspective from a variety of different stakeholders or groups or beneficiaries who would benefit from the research. So the conversations that are faculty to faculty might potentially start within their own kind of department, academic department, where people might be comfortable to some degree or have some level of familiarity with individuals within their department. These conversations, as you mentioned, are very challenging and they can have different meanings for different people. So for racialized individuals, there could be a whole intergenerational kind of trauma attached to being racialized in an environment such as academia. Right. So are we prepared and what are we going to do to ensure that that person, if they share their story, is supported? 
right? Yep. And that they don't feel that I'm sharing my story, then my peers are going to look at me differently moving forward, or they might ostracize me based on what I have shared and, and you know, what it, it takes a lot of courage to yes. have these conversations. So we need to make sure that they take place in a safe, encouraging environment. Which is fantastic. How are you finding your participants for your research? I mean, your students that you, I know you mentioned undergrad and grad, but how are yeah. you how are you reaching out to find those? Because let's face it, when we talk about racialized, anyone who's racialized, there's lots of variety there. And Correct. so how do you how do you get a good cross section to help you with your with your research? So my plan is to work with the director of the Center for Student Equity and Inclusion. Okay. So that's where um, the cultural groups that racialized individuals might belong to might identify with. So if right. I feel that I need to have a trusting relationship with someone that the that racialized students on campus have a good relationship with. So meeting with the director and that is going to be the person who would share the letter of information regarding the research. In addition to that, once the participants start to engage and give consent, um, I plan to use something that's called snowball sampling. So they would tell people that they feel who might be interested in the research to come and participate and, and get in touch with me. Um, okay. The other, for the graduate perspective, too, um, I've reached out to um, very recently um, the Scholars of Color at Watson Hall, and yes. I know that they did a grad chat with you as well. They did. So, yeah, so that's another area in terms of being able to access potential participants. And that's in, that's in, uh, going to be important too, and not only a cross section across um, r- different racialized or minority groups, but also across disciplines, because what might happen in, say, humanities and social sciences, or the the way work gets done in social sciences and humanities sex could be very different to health sciences, again, different to education and all those sorts of things. So the perspective could be very different just among programming as well. Yes, very true. You've got your work cut out for you. <laughs> I do, but it's something I'm extremely passionate about. So I think I'm hoping, um, obviously, through my research, I love a challenge. So this is well, right up the alley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, but I think, too, my experience as a racialized student um, in university from when I first started, I know is is different. And I recognize that as well, that I'm in a position of power and privilege as a university professor myself. So recognizing that and sharing that with the participants that my ultimate goal is to benefit them. So Right. mm -hmm. And I think that's important because, you know, one of the things you talked about, you know, you want your research to have impact, to have an outcome from it. With all the the differences across across peoples across generations, we do have to take that into consideration, don't we? Yes, we do, most definitely. Wow! Um, I, to be honest, this will whatever you come up with at the end will be fascinating for all universities 
particularly in a Canadian context. And, and for instance, because you're doing it at Queen's, Queen's would be very thankful, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping. So that's the plan is that really um, my focus is on Queen's, but the information hopefully will be shared across Canada and in the United States. So I have that, I want to say, benefit that I work in the United States. So my place of employment is very interested in what I'm intending to do too, because there's really nothing that exists at all. So yeah. Well, that is fantastic, Debbie. Thank you so much. I mean, I know we went off a little bit on a tangent, but I think it was still all relevant to what you're trying to do. And and I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of questions for you. Uh, So I really do want to appreciate you taking on this research because it's not an easy one to do. Thank you. Um, and then secondly, coming on to the show to explain that to us. And if anything that we can do to help you, please do let us know. Oh, this has been great, Colette. I think just having the opportunity to share what I propose to do and um, and if it generates questions, all the better. Right. Some yeah. of the, some of the questions I've answers to and other ones we can figure them out on. Um, together. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity, again, to have these conversations and for individuals to be involved in what is currently going on and and sharing their perspectives about it. So I'm really grateful to you for having me on the show and having the opportunity to share what it is that I propose to do. Well, it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure, Debbie. So thank you. And uh, like I said, everyone's going to enjoy it, I'm sure, listening to this and have lots of questions. So it's good. that's what a researcher wants. They want to have people to have questions. That's very <laughs> true. Very true. Thank you so much, Colette. No worries. Thanks for doing the show remotely and good luck with the rest of it. And like I said, if we can help in any way, please just let us know. I will. Thank you. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.